Hello, and welcome to Cultivate, a podcast about leadership in agriculture in rural Oklahoma. My name is RJ Gray, and I'm the CEO of the Oklahoma Agricultural Cooperative Council. In this podcast, we talk to a variety of leaders in our industry about their leadership journey, their influences, their unique challenges. We're going to hear some success stories, and we're going to hear some war stories, but it's all done through the unique lens of agriculture in Oklahoma. So our guest today is Ford Drummond, a third-generation rancher in Osage County. He graduated from Pahuska High School. He earned a bachelor's degree in economics from Stanford and a law degree from the University of Virginia. Prior to returning to Oklahoma in 1998, he worked in a private practice at a law firm in San Francisco. Ford serves on a number of boards, including the Nature Conservancy, the Frank Phillips Foundation, and the Texas and South, uh, Southwestern Cattle Raisers. He serves on corporate boards for Bank First and Virtus Mutual Fund. He and his wife, Vanessa, live in Bartlesville, where they have raised their three children. Mr. Drummond, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be with you, RJ. After hearing about my resume there, I can tell people know why I'm not ever a good rancher. I'm <laughs> overeducated. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so uh, for, tell us, actually, since you brought up your ranch, tell us a little bit about your ranch. I know it's important to Oklahoma's, you know, ag legacy and ranching legacy. So tell us about it. You bet. Well, I'll step back and start with a little family history. My great-grandfather, Frederick Drummond, came from Scotland to the Osage uh, Reservation in the late 1880s. Uh, he came as a trader to work in a, a mercantile store there, and uh, his three sons all got involved in the cattle business. So my grandfather and his brothers, uh, we, we aren't a very creative bunch because for better or worse, a lot of Drummonds are still in the cattle business in Osage County. There's probably a dozen of us, and I, I hear a lot of times people ask, you know, if, I, if I'm part of the Drummond Ranch, and I have to explain, no, there's a lot of Drummond ranches and <laughs> yeah. a lot of Drummond ranchers, so I'm, I'm one of those. Uh, my father, Frederick Drummond, ran the ranch for 40-some-odd years, and uh, we lost him a couple years ago. My wife and I, Vanessa and I, moved back to Oklahoma, actually from Washington, D.C., 25 years ago, where I began my ranching career here. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you. Thank you again for being here. Um, so um, let's talk about when you left Oklahoma and you studied economics and then you went to law school. What made you decide to return to the family business? Um, well, I mean, I really enjoyed, um, I enjoyed going to a different state for my education. It was, you know, big change, a little bit of a culture shock going yeah. to the West Coast, but that was half the education was going someplace different, seeing uh, different scenery, meeting people from all over the country and all over the world who are still good friends of mine. And uh, it was a great education, a great place to be for four years. Um, after spending four years on the West Coast, I decided I wanted to go somewhere on the East Coast for law school and ended up at the University of Virginia, which is a, a great school in Charlottesville. Uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson founded the university. If you haven't been there, it's a great beautiful place. Beautiful campus. Beautiful yeah. campus. See Monticello, mm -hmm. uh, right on the Blue Ridge Mountains. So a great place to spend three years, even if you had to do it in law school. <laughs> Um, so I've kind of bounced coast to coast a little bit. I was back on the West Coast after law school where I worked for a law firm there, as you mentioned. Um, and it's there where I met my wife, Vanessa. Um, this is a little bit of a, a story, but she went to Cal Berkeley undergrad. I went to Stanford. They're known as rivals, sports rivals and, and academic rivals. Uh, we met watching the big game, the football game between Stanford and Cal, um, Vanessa was a vegetarian at the time. Uh, she's about <laughs> two inches taller than me, five years younger, and a lot smarter and better looking. So I'm just 
thankful that, uh, you know, we met where we did and it wasn't computer dating because it would have never matched us. <laughs> so, so now she lives in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, is a dedicated beef eater and uh, a great addition to Oklahoma. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think the algorithms would have paired you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, you worked with uh, several, several branches of the Drummond family in the business. Can you talk about uh, the importance of communication, cooperation, and other interpersonal skills it takes to to work in such a large uh, business with a family, especially? Great question. I mean, anyone in agriculture, most people in agriculture, those are family businesses. Yeah. And, and so family dynamics can be tough. Uh, I never knew my grandfather, um, but my dad and I, you know, as I mentioned, I came back about 25 years ago and we overlapped for, you know, all but the last couple of years and we shared an office. Um, and, you know, it can be hard in a family business, especially when you've been doing it successfully for so long and you turn it over to someone else and you watch them stumble. And uh, to his credit, you know, he kind of, I kind of had about a three year break in period where I was still practicing law for, uh, uh, in Bartlesville and running the, you know, kind of learning about the ranch. And then uh, we got to the point where it was kind of time for me to take the reins and as you know, with a, with a farm or a ranch, you have, you know, when you bring someone else into the business, you can't just double the size of business. You got to, yeah. someone has to give up their share for you to take their share. Yeah. And so we, 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 it was about a five-year process to do that. And dad let me make my own mistakes. He was always willing to be my advisor and counselor, uh, sometimes even when I didn't ask for his advice or counsel. <laughs> uh, but he was very supportive of me and allowing me to to make decisions and, again, learn by the School of Hard Knocks, which is a good way to learn. Stanford is a great school, but it, they don't have any ag programs, so <laughs> I, I had to do all that on my own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of your father, can you tell us um, about some of your role models? You know, it could be, some, could be family, could be somebody inside the industry, somebody outside of the industry, college professor. Um, well, gosh, I've had a lot of great uh, leaders that I've been around, and let me think about that. I mean, my dad obviously is the one who comes to mind since I really served as an apprentice from an early age. That's that's a, another great thing about yeah. farms and ranches. It's something you can start. At, you know, your kids get go to work with you. There's not yeah. many jobs. You know, as a, as a lawyer, you can't bring your kid to to your law office with you and say, "Here, we'll start you doing some paralegal work, and you'll work your way up." Yeah. But on a ranch and a farm, you go out at an early age, and you get to um, you can see. But there's a lot of role models out there, and it's not just, you know, people have different leadership styles. My dad, he, he was not, uh, he was pretty quiet in his leadership, um, but also just the cowboys that you work around. Yeah. Um, a guy I spent a lot of summers with out there on the ranch, Frank Adcock, and when I was, uh, you know, in, before I drove, I would go spend the summers out with him. We always lived in town and um, not on the ranch, and my dad always, and my mom figured it would be easier for for him to drive to the ranch, then my mom to drive with four kids into town and for school and events and stuff like that. So whenever I, I've uh, spent my summers with Frank and, you know, he, my dad just told him, it's like, work his butt off. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that was kind of my training, cowboy training was being with him and seeing his style, um, following his lead and just kind of seeing how men work uh, yeah. and enjoy their work, you yeah. know, you know, kind of the joy of doing physical work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, uh, how would you describe your leadership philosophy? Well, my rule of leadership is 
don't screw things up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've had a few leadership roles. I've been, um, I served on the Oklahoma Water Resources Board for 14 years. I was chairman of that for a while. Uh, I've been, uh, I'm just past chairman of the Osage County Cattlemen's Association. Um, you know, I've done a few things. And you got to rely on, you, you need to have a good team. Yeah. Um, and you got to count on that team and let them do their work. Give them advice and counsel. Give them some direction. Uh, I'm not a guy who yells at people on the ranch when we're working cattle. I, I know people who do that. Um, I don't. I, I try to lead by example. And again, you know, first rule: do no harm yeah. and uh, don't screw things up. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, can you talk about some of the biggest professional challenges you face in your career, and what kind of leadership skills you use to get through it? Well, our biggest challenge right now, I don't know if it's professional or, or how you would define it, but it's just uh, weather yeah, and drought. Yeah. I mean, we wonderful to get the rains that came through central Oklahoma yesterday, the last couple of days. Some places have gotten three and four inches of rain. Unfortunately, we got about eight-tenths on the ranch, and so we yeah. are at the point where, you know, that, that will help grow some grass, but our ponds, our last significant runoff was from last June, so mm-hmm. we, we need some heavy rains for to fill our ponds and as you know cattle market's great right now yeah. so we're we're counting on that so that's plan a is rain plan b is going to be um you know starting to liquidate the herd and you start with the old cows and then you move with your to your replacement heifers and then you maybe you start weaning early and shipping early so um that's you know i'm talking to the cowboys trying to figure out you know where we have water what's our best option um just working with them collaboratively to try to figure out how we manage this and hopefully mother nature will give us plan a instead the rain yeah yeah absolutely and that's such a big challenge all over right now you know you hear about um you know just most of our folks don't you know in in, on the grain side have no crop you know what i mean we're looking at a significant crop failure you know even with wheat harvest coming up we're talking about it being insignificant compared to what it has been historically so it's pretty bad especially with you know and then everyone's talking about planting fall crops too and there's not much 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 uh, moisture to do that with so right that plus our input cost being so high right Absolutely. now i mean the cattle prices are great great prices right now it looks very yeah. fantastic but all our inputs are up to uh, fuel fertilizer feed uh, yeah hay you know all those things and that your guys deal with so yeah when you go to i mean when you go to liquidate the herd too you know that's kind of counterproductive to what you tried to do you know what i mean absolutely yeah uh you know fortunately the the uh you know the the non-fed market's pretty good killer cow that kind of thing but it's still you're selling usually you're selling into uh selling low and buying high when you (laughs) because you're restocking when it rains when everyone else gets rain so it's it's a tough dynamic. Absolutely. What do you see um, as the biggest threats to agriculture and rural life in America and what kinds of what kind of leadership is it going to take to address it? Oh, good question. I mean, you know, even here in Oklahoma, which is a, you know, a farm friendly, ranch friendly, rural state, most of our population is in the cities. It's, Absolutely. You know, and that's where the voters are. That's, you know, increasingly ag is going to lose it's clout in the legislature. Um, so there's just fewer of us out there to tell our story. Um, you know, 3% of the population of the U S produces food for a living. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think one of our biggest challenges is just conveying 
getting our message out there. We're not always the best at getting our message out too. We're usually, farmers and ranchers are pretty busy and taking the time or, you know, I'm not a Facebook person or Instagram or those kind of things. But, you know, those are the kind of things to, to convey, you know, the importance of family farms, family ranches, producing food and fiber here in the United States, how important that is. And uh, I just got back from Washington, D.C. from a, a National, National Cattlemen's Beef Association meeting. We met with our the delegation from Oklahoma. And just, you know, we kind of take it for granted that people know what our concerns are. Frank Lucas knows the stuff in and out. Absolutely. But, uh, yep. You know, Stephanie Bice from Oklahoma City, who we had a great meeting with her, you know, it's just kind of educating her about uh, what we do, and she's very supportive. So it, I think it's our challenge is going to be, um, you know, educating the public about why they need to care about where their food comes from, how it's raised. And, uh, you know, we got a farm bill coming up. We talked about that with Frank Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of that, as, as you know, is uh, uh, nutrition assistance, mm-hmm. biggest part of the budget. But it's still important for farmers and ranchers to have the programs there to support us and uh, when we need it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so what do you say to, um, to a young rancher, a young farmer that, um, that really just wants to just ranch and farm? He doesn't want to get involved in the, in the political process or how, how do you make him understand or her understand the importance of getting involved? Uh, I, that's, I think it's critical. And, you know, what is that saying? It's like, if you're not there for uh, if, what is the saying? If you're not there for dinner, you might be on the, on the menu, menu yeah, or something like yeah. that. If you're not something like that. Yeah. So anyway, you know, that's my message. It's like, you gotta, if you want to participate, you got to show up, that's you know, right. that's 90%. And whether that's in your uh, county organization, state, national, whatever, you know, we need your involvement and you need to be there to, to speak up because again, we're a small part of the population um, and you need to get your voice out there. Yeah. And, and it can be, you know, again, now even with social media and different ways people can get the message out, podcasts, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's important however you can reach people, but you need to participate. And um, it's also just a great network. You know, yeah. I've, I enjoyed going to these meetings and being, sometimes farming and ranching can be a pretty solitary profession. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to just be with your peers, talk with them, uh, you know, just for the social aspect, for the professional aspect, to compare notes on things, to commiserate about the lack of rain, whatever it is, um, it's it's good to be involved with an organization. Absolutely, yeah. I tell our folks all the time. You know, you guys live in a thirty-mile bubble, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you're you're making decisions on your ranch or your farm that's you know affected by a global marketplace. And so, if you don't go and get out of your bubble, it's extremely difficult to be able to make, I think, uh, informed decisions. Absolutely, and, and this you know this national meeting is especially interesting because. Yeah. You know, I talked to guys from North Dakota and ranchers from Florida and yeah. California and all over, and we're all in the same business, but they're all very different, mm-hmm. uh, depending on your environment and the, you know everything's a little different. But so it, it is yeah. good to get out and uh, see what's going on in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, just out of curiosity, what do you think the biggest differences and the biggest similarities are between like practicing law and running a ranch? <laughs> if, if there is any, I'm just curious. Uh, uh, well, and uh, you know, I'm not practicing law anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I, I tell people I'm fully recovered now, RJ, <laughs> so totally harmless. That's but, funny. Um, you know, it's, I, I've, I've enjoyed, um, you know, the, the, um, 
intellectual side of practicing law, the you know the the challenge of kind of that side of it, the, mm -hmm. the bookish side. Um, but there's nothing like doing something physical and yeah. doing that kind of work. So I, I like having the balance between the two. Now I'm not practicing law, but I'm serving on boards and doing other things. And it's kind of fun. Those are kind of puzzles, intellectual things to, yeah. to work on. But, you know, today while I was at a bank board meeting, I missed out. They were processing some of our yearlings on the ranch this morning. And, you know, I'm, yeah. I usually am the, the vaccine guy or the wormer guy or Sometimes yeah. the hotshot guy in the back just depends on where I'm needed. <laughs> yeah. I'm the spare cowboy, basically. Yeah. And uh, that's a lot of fun, just to work with a, a group of men and, and sometimes women yeah. uh, out there who everyone knows their job, does a good job. Uh, you don't have to tell them what to do. Yeah. Getting on a horse, watching the sun come up, you know, those kind of things. So I, I don't... The, the law uh, background is helpful for a ranch, I mean, yeah. or a farm, because there's always... Property issues, liability issues, um, you know, those things come up. So it's good to at least feel like, um, you know, you're aware of some of the issues out there and can, I, I don't uh, represent myself. <laughs> I've sure. got a great lawyer, but I, I know the, the questions and the issues. So yeah. that's helpful. Yeah. So, uh, you know, working on a ranch, you know, typically um, there's tried and true ways of doing things, um, you know, and I know we talked earlier about maybe even working for, for your own ranch hands, but what's it like uh, leading, um, leading on a ranch like that where you have a lot of good people that really know what they're doing? Well, again, RJ, you know, my first rule is don't screw things up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, as you said, these are experienced guys. They know what they're doing. Um, and again, sometimes I wonder who's working for who here, but, uh, you know, it's, it's great to be part of a team where everyone knows their job yeah. and, um, and if someone doesn't know their job, they get told pretty quickly, you know, yeah. and there's for good reason, uh, you can get hurt really easily if you're in the wrong yeah. place at the wrong time, you can screw things up. So just for safety issues, yeah. people need to know where they can and can't be and what they should be doing. Yeah. So when we bring someone out there, often it's, you know, someone who's just kind of interested in seeing what's going on. We'll, we'll let them watch for a while and then we'll give them a, a small job to do. But, yeah. you know, it's really just making sure everyone has an assignment um, and, uh, and then uh, turning them loose. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's great, great teamwork. I enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. So you serve on um, you serve on several boards. So um, you know work. You know I tell general managers and CEOs that work for boards that it's that it's you know, working for a board is different than working for somebody. But also too, when you serve on a board, your, your dynamics are different as you try to manage the different leaders in a room. What are some key things that you think um, takes from a leadership perspective, serving on a board or working for a board? Uh, I would say you know first do your homework. Yeah. Make sure you've read your materials. Your reviewed them, you've thought about them, so you come in with, you know, you don't go into a meeting cold. You, yeah. you need to do your homework. Um, you should kind of know your audience. I mean, yeah. I've been, if you've been on a board for a while, you get to know the personalities, and I think collegiality and uh, those kind of board dynamics are important. You know, you don't cut someone off or talk over someone, just those kind of basic courtesies. But you need to speak up, ask your questions, um, pay attention, um, and, you know, just be engaged and constructive. Yeah. And, you know, you, again, same like as working with Cowboys, don't screw things up. I mean, you know, yeah. you hope you have a good management team, the professional employees, the people in place who know what they're doing and do a good job. They're looking for you for guidance, counsel, uh, you know, 
approval, whatever. But um, you know, they're the ones who are doing the day-to-day work, so you need to rely on them and and uh, have good people there. But it's, yeah, I've enjoyed my board service. You know, there's a lot of interesting yeah. personalities on them. Um, you don't always agree on everything, which is fine, and you may not always agree with management on things. But it's it's got to be constructive. Uh, and my one rule is always. Um, you know, no surprises. Yeah. You know, make sure people know about things in advance. Sometimes you may have to have a sidebar with someone to discuss something or talk about it later or, or before the meeting. But you know, try not to have a surprise in the boardroom. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you made some really great points. So talk about conflict. Um, you know, I know like uh, in the in the boardroom, it seems like we all we want to be adverse to conflict because we don't want to upset our fellow board member. And you really said it nicely on the constructive, but uh, you know, be constructive. But what what are your thoughts around conflict in the boardroom? Well, it's important for people to be honest, yeah. and uh, it's you know, people can have different opinions, and then sometimes you just have to have a vote. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, so not everyone's going to agree on everything. So at some point, um, or you know, if it's really an issue that you need more information, you may just need to come back and revisit it at a later time. So table it. And say, well, we'll come back to that, or we need to find some more facts about this, or whatever. But it, you know, at some point, you have a vote. One with the most vote wins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, just kind of making a transition here. Um, what kind of books, podcasts, or other resources do you read, or would you recommend to folks to to take a look at? Oh boy, you know, I'm I'm not. I need to do better on podcasts. Yeah, and. Um, I, I'm so I'm open to advice on that. I've been trying to I've been doing more reading lately about the West, which I've really enjoyed. Yeah, um, you know, I have a book of probably a lot of people have read Empire of the Summer Moon. That's a great book. A great book about yeah. the Comanche Wars. Um, you know, it was that was tough. A lot of people have probably read Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, uh, film there in Osage County. Um, you know, a book that. I thought I'd finally read Lonesome Dove, <laughs> which you know I yeah. hadn't for years. And then someone said, "You know, well, that's based on on Charles Goodnight." Yeah. And so I read uh, Charles Goodnight's biography, and it's true. They stole everything on. Uh, I did not know that. Yes, yeah. from Charles Goodnight. Uh, he basically he brought his partner. Um, uh, Mr. Loving back in a in a casket from Montana to bury him in in <laughs> Texas, just that. like Lonesome Dove. So yeah. I would hi- highly recommend uh, Charles Goodnight's biography. I'll check it out. Yeah, I know um, there's some guys that have recommended some things on Charles Goodnight, and I've read a little bit, but never his biography. So I mm-hmm. can check that out. All right. So my last question, and I've asked this of every of everyone, um, and you know, and and really. When you think about Oklahoma history, and I know you're out of, out of Oklahoma for a while, but who do you think has been the greatest leader in Oklahoma history? Wow. Okay. Well, I put you on the spot. I know that is tough. Well, I just left a bank first board meeting with Frank Keating yeah. on the board. He was a good. He was a great leader. Yeah. He was a great leader. You know, he. I think he tried to do things on a bipartisan basis. Um, he, you know, he had a very pragmatic approach to mm-hmm. leadership. I also spent a summer working for uh, David Bourne in yeah. Washington, D.C. as a summer intern, and I have a great deal of admiration for him, everything that he's done for Oklahoma, for the University of Oklahoma as a governor and senator. And uh, so those would be two names I'd put up there. Yeah, way to keep it bipartisan. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, just, just another random question. So when you think about American history, you know, you went and you went to the University of Virginia. Obviously, you stated that it was— 
created by Thomas Jefferson, and it is a very beautiful campus. I'm a big Jeffersonite. Mm -hmm. I really love Thomas Jefferson. Who do you think in American history has probably been some of our greatest leaders? Wow. Okay. Well, um, well, you got, you know, you gave me the ringer there. Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. amazing. Uh, yeah. uh, founded the university, kind of created the, the concept of uh, separation of church and state. Yeah. Um, uh, author of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Um, pretty amazing man. Yeah. I mean, it's, I would, I would vote for TJ pretty easily yeah, there. So. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Now, Mr. Drummond, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy and, and you got a busy schedule. And thank you so much again for being here with us today. Hey, it was a pleasure talking with you, RJ. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for being here for this episode of Cultivate. I'm RJ Gray with the Oklahoma Agriculture Cooperative Council, and we'll see you next time.